Welcome to another episode of Soul Sessions with KK. I'm your host, Karen Corin, and in this episode, I speak with Rachel Bayer. Rachel and I speak about online predatory behavior. We used to hear, don't talk to strangers, never go into a stranger's car, don't get candy from a stranger. But nowadays, the danger with strangers is not so much in the playground, but in your very own home. Something interesting I learned is that online sexual abuse can happen not only from strangers, but also from people your children know, or even strangers posing as people your children know. As a former sex crimes and child abuse prosecutor, and currently a speaker and consultant on abuse and harassment prevention, Rachel makes it very clear that yes, it can happen to your child. But... Before you start panicking, Rachel assures us that with the right attitude and the right mindset, there's always room to make our kids safer. This is a conversation that you don't want to miss, and it will encourage you to start having these conversations in your home. Enjoy the show. everybody. I am so excited to continue the conversation. Today, my guest is the one and only Rachel Bayer. If you don't know her, you are living under a rock. Rachel Bayer is a former sex crimes and child abuse prosecutor who has worked in the field of sexual misconduct and abuse prevention for over a decade. And today, she's a speaker and consultant on abuse and harassment prevention. Today, Rachel is on the show to speak specifically about another element of child sexual abuse, and that's internet safety and online child sexual abuse. So Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here. Really a pleasure. We've been wanting to do this for quite some time, and I'm really happy we're finally doing this. So in the last couple of years, you've been working in this field. What issues remain more or less the same and what in child sexual abuse has changed? Sure. I mean, look, it's a great question. And I think in order to even answer it, you have to take a step back and realize that child sexual abuse is a huge umbrella term, right? There's a lot of different forms of abuse and a lot of different forms of sexual abuse. And so I think that one of the biggest things that has changed really over the past decade is everything that's happening on the internet, on social media, on the fact that 10 years ago, you know, our kids didn't have access to things that they have access to now. The fact that, you know, a year and a half ago when I was giving, you know, an internet safety talk to parents, I was talking about apps that don't exist anymore, or now there are new apps that everybody's using. It's a world that's constantly shifting and moving. And because parents are always playing catch up when it comes to things like the internet and social media, what that means is that it's harder to talk to our kids about these issues because we're not even really sure what they are, right? People don't associate sexual abuse with your phone, right? Or with the internet or with social media. And so when you really do a deep dive into what some of those issues are, it's clear that a lot of these things have really come up over the course of the the past few years. I noticed that there's a lot of movies and TV shows that kind of like scandalize what's going on. I know right now there's a Netflix show that talks about like catfishing or it's called clickbait. I think, I don't know if you've heard of it or there's a movie I've I watched. heard of it, but I have not seen it. 
Yeah, and there was a movie yeah. I've seen a week ago. It's a pretty old movie. It's called Disconnect. I don't know if you've heard of it. No, I haven't. Yeah, it's from like 10 years ago. But I was watching this movie and I was like, wow, so much is like they're speaking about the dangers of, you know, online, the online world and these apps and everything that kids are going on. And so much has changed since then. So how accurate is is like what's going on in the media, like how they're depicting dangers of the Internet? You know, that's hard to answer because it probably depends on what media you're actually watching or what it is that you're looking at. But I would I would almost categorize it as there are two things, whether they're being depicted in media or not, that parents really need to think about. And that really has to do with the type of abuse that's happening online. You know, using a term like catfishing, the truth is that something like catfishing isn't even a term that comes up that much when it comes to child sexual abuse. The terminology that really comes up are things like sending nudes and sexting, something that especially in religious communities or in faith-based communities, everybody thinks their kids are not engaging in. But I'm I'm just I'm just going to say it, which is if your kid has a cell phone, if your kid has social media, there's a really good chance that they've either received a nude picture or they've been asked to send one or they've sent one because that's the way that kids are connecting on social media right now. It's just, it doesn't, it's almost like a very, it seems, it appears to kids to be a very like typical way to be able to communicate. The other things that you want to think about are things that like sextortion, right? Which is like an online exploitation crime where when a kid is in a situation where they do end up either connecting with someone that they know that's pretending to be someone else or someone that they don't really know, but they've met online by gaming or they've met online because it's someone that's, you know, slid into their DMs or that they've gotten to know through someone else. You know, if there is some sort of exchange of anything, pictures or videos, and then all of a sudden that person kind of extorts them for more and says, if you don't send me more photos or more videos or do what I'm telling you to do, you know, I'm going to come to your house, I'm going to kill your parents, right? Or I'm going to, I'm going to send these pictures to your whole school. And the truth is that when you have someone that's engaging in sextortion and they're pretending to be someone else online, let's say they're pretending to be a four. 14-year-old kid or a 15-year-old kid, it may actually be someone that your kid knows, right? We've seen this happen just across the country in schools, in youth programs, you know, where someone who's a predator is pretending to be a kid. And then all of a sudden, like your kid who might have made a mistake and sent a photo or a video or doesn't even know what the person has is is like oh my gosh you you know where i go to school you know where i live like you know you know who my parents are and then all of a sudden they're scared and so they might send more right so you have issues of sending nudes and sexting and you have issues of sextortion and you have issues of online solicitation and sex trafficking and things that you know when we think about things like sex trafficking we think about like or at least I know I used to I think, think about, about that like, movie, right? Like a dark tunnel, you know, and somebody grabs someone in an alley and you, you know, and they are never heard from again. And that is one form of sex trafficking. But if you look at an app, like, for example, the app OnlyFans, right? Something that's supposed to be, a, a, you will now, you'll Google yes. it now. And you'll be like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. What's it called? Really meant, it's called OnlyFans and it's really meant to be an adult only site. And one of the articles that you'll find when you Google it is that there are kids who have essentially 
um, you know, been able to create accounts on that site where they're that site is you can sell, you can sell pictures of yourself or videos of yourself. It really allows kids to engage in, in essentially what could be considered a form of sex trafficking or what would be, what is a form of sex trafficking. And so all of a sudden you have like a shifting of what the issues are because the media may depict, you know, catfishing or sex trafficking in one way, but all of these crimes all of these forms of abuse could actually be happening from the comfort of your own home. Your kid is safely in their bedroom, in the basement, in the living room, you know, with their head bent down, looking at their phone, you know, doing what everybody does on like a normal random Tuesday night. But actually there could be real either predators, whether it's people that they don't really know. And I say that in air quotes for those who are listening, or people that they do know, or people that they do know pretending to be someone that they don't know. And all of a sudden you could have all of these crimes happening to your child. And it's happening from the comfort of like your living room couch while they're sitting there with their cozy blanket. And that's really what we have to be thinking about. We have to change the way we think about abuse because when it comes to abuse that's happening online, it's not always happening the way it's depicted in the media. And mm -hmm. so we have to change our framework. What's a more common occurrence for the abuse to happen from someone that a kid knows or for the abuse to happen from a predator that they're just meeting online? You know, I don't know that I can answer what's more common. I think statistics are changing all the time, and especially during the course of the pandemic with the amount of kids being online and honestly, the amount of kids who've changed the way that they've been online, right? Parents who are not monitoring things as much or giving kids access to things that they may never have had two years ago. So I don't know that I can say that it's more or less, but whereas when we talk about sexual abuse in person, right? In-person kind of that physical sexual abuse, which is really not the topic of what we're discussing tonight. You know, we know that the stats are somewhere around 91% of kids are sexually abused by someone they or their family knows, right? Most of the time, you're not talking about stranger danger. You're not talking about the person that may grab a kid in a playground or in an alley. It doesn't mean that doesn't happen. It's just not the majority of sexual abuse that's happening to kids. But when it comes to the online interactions, you know, I don't really know what the numbers are right now, but I could tell you, you have to worry about both because on some level, our kids who let's say are utilizing, you know, even apps like, like discord, for example, right? Anyone who has a, a kid that, that likes to game, they might be on discord. It's an app that like is geared towards, you know, 13 year olds and above. It has like a real cartoony way of, of looking on its app and its website. And it's meant for gamers, right? If you play Fortnite, if you play Minecraft, Roblox, Among Us, right? Discord is an app where gamers go to meet other gamers and it's really geared towards kids, but it also allows adults on that site. And so all of a sudden you have to think about it from the perspective of the predator who actually doesn't know your kid, but wants to have access to kids, right? Where is a good place to get access to kids? Well, where kids are and where are kids? They're on apps that are geared towards kids. So if you think about that, 
You have to worry about the people that your kids actually don't know. And you also have to worry about how they interact. And I, I feel like I'm, I, I don't mean to be doomsday here. It's not like no. you have to worry, but there, the things to think about are not just about the strangers that may connect with your kids online. And they are, by the way, um, but also the people that they know right? Even the way that kids are interacting with other kids, you know, this idea of sending nudes to each other and, and it's totally okay because I'm sending it to my friend. Well, in most states and according to federal law, sending a nude picture of yourself to a minor is actually creation and dissemination of child sexual abuse material or what in, in certain states are called the creation of child pornography, which is not really terminology that we use beyond the legal kind of penal code um, definition. So all of a sudden you have kids that might actually be engaging in both federal and state crimes in creating this child sexual abuse material without even realizing it. Or you have a situation where someone gets a hold of a nude or a semi-nude picture and then uses it as like revenge, right? Revenge against yeah. a friend or an ex or someone that you like. So I think that part of what feels so overwhelming for parents is like, where do you even start? Like, where do you even begin? And I think that, you know, I think this probably goes beyond the question that you've asked, but I, I think that when you think about whether you have to worry about strangers or people your kids know, I think the question should actually be formulated differently. If your kid has access to stuff online, if they have access to social media, if they have a phone, You've got to talk to your kids about where the lines are, what you're comfortable with and what you're not. And you have to talk with them. You can't talk at them. And part of it is that for so many parents, they've already given access to their kids. It's hard to bring that back. And so engaging in this conversation, you have to be able to do it because you've got to know there are people that may actually be connecting to your kids online and your kids may be doing things that you're just not aware of. Um, I will tell you, you know, I go into a lot of schools. And one of the things that I do is I, I do a lot on like abuse prevention and sexual abuse prevention and grooming, but I also do a lot on navigating these issues, sexting, sextortion, online solicitation, both for parents as well as for kids. And I think that everybody is always shocked that when I ask a series of questions like to a group of sixth graders, right? Sixth graders, right? They're 11 and 12 years old, right? How many of you know someone that has ever received a nude picture. It doesn't have to be you, right? Just how many of you know someone? And like the majority of kids raise their hand. And this could be in like a very, very religious Jewish school. It could be in a totally secular, not Jewish school. The numbers are the same. How many of you know someone that's taken a picture and sent it to someone and hands shoot up? You know, how many of you know someone that's ever been in a position where they've been made to feel uncomfortable because they had a picture that was sent, right? So all of these issues most parents just want to say like, no, it'll be fine. I trust my kid. They would never do anything wrong. But we really have to start from the premise of it's not about doing something wrong. It's about engaging in conversation because there are dangers. We have to be able to mitigate them. That's our job as the grownups. Wow. Thanks for clarifying that. I also think it's important to note that it doesn't matter if you send to 
an all-girls school, a very religious school, a public school, modern Orthodox school. If your child has access to social media, the chances of your child being faced with all these things that you were talking about is pretty high. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it really does. <laughs> you know, and 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 I and guess all the time. <laughs> you hope everyone's like, like sometimes I'll start a parent night and I'll be like, I know you're all thinking, not my child, but I just need everybody here to reframe. I want you to reframe under the perspective of yes, it can happen to my child. And that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with my child. And that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with my parenting. And it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with me. We have to stop laying blame and putting fault at kind of whether we did something right or did something wrong. The framework should be, if my child has access to something, then yes, there is a real possibility that someone could connect with them. If you ask your kid, anybody who's listening here, ask your kid if they game or if they're on social media, ask them about their privacy settings, right? Ask them if they've ever played Fortnite, Among Us, Roblox, had any DMs, right? Whether it's on you know, Instagram or connected with someone on Snapchat or any, or TikTok, right? Have they ever had any interaction with someone that they don't actually know? The answer is gonna be yes right? Unless there is kind of this set conversation of why are we, why are we on this app? What's the purpose of this app? Do we have privacy settings? And if your kids, for example, are gaming with people that they don't know, and let's define what don't know means. Because a lot of times I'll walk into a school and kids will be like, oh no, I know them. I've been gaming with them for six months. Like I totally know them. I know everything <laughs> about them and they know everything about me. And I'm like, okay, let's, let's take a step back, right? Do you know them from school, from camp, from your synagogue? Do you know them from your community or your family? Do you know them because you've met them in person before you ever gamed with them? If you don't, you don't know them, right? Being able to kind of distill down for where a kid is. And so, you know, you, you're, you're navigating, like as a parent, you're navigating something that feels very complex, but start from the place of, yes, it can happen to my kid, what are the conversations that I should have? And what are the things that I should be looking for in terms of making sure that my kid is really safe? What if a parent doesn't allow the child to have social media links, but their friends have it? Should they be having these conversations with their children, even though they don't have it yet? Yeah, I mean, look, I have kids. I have three kids. My oldest is in high school. My youngest is in kindergarten, right? I span all the ages. My kids do not have social media. There's no social media that my kids are on. Even in high school? My my high school kid does not have a single stitch of social media. Wow, Um, wow. Say it louder. (laughs) I know, I know. But then again, she also had a flip phone for a really long time. She did actually get a smartphone more to be able to use like WhatsApp, but um, she has no social media. We talk about it all the time. It is a real topic, not because she's asking for it, by the way. She's not. But because we bring it up, we bring up and we, you know, I'm on social media for work, right? And so all of my social media platforms, like, like we met on Instagram, right? You're never going to see me post a picture of my kids on Instagram. It's, it's work related. It's not personal. Um, 
But, you know, I talk to my kids all the time about things like sending nudes, about issues like sextortion, about abuse prevention in general, whether they have social media or not. And, you know, we have this big um, like chalkboard in our kitchen. Um, and I think I had a social media post about this at some point, but we have like, a big it. chalkboard. Yeah. And it has like all of our like family values and rules. It's everything like flush the toilet, like chew with your mouth <laughs> closed, you know, like all of those. And then we also have like a phrase on it that says no nudes, like no nudes. And the first time I remember my babysitter like walked by and was like, wait a second, no nudes. Are you joking? I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> we talk about that all the time. Because on some level, we have to be able to, to, to kind of take a deep breath and recognize whether our kid is on social media or not. Our kids have access, they have friends and those friends have social media and it does not do anyone any good to put your head in the sand and pretend like these issues do not exist. So I'm not talking to my high schooler um, because she has social media. I'm talking to her because she doesn't have social media and she has friends that do. And we also have certain like certain standards when, when kids come over to our house. Um, you know, like, just like we make sure that we have like a lot of really good snacks. Like we have like amazing, we're like amazing snack house. Okay. Can so I we also over? have, I know, right. <laughs> but we're also the house where you're not allowed to take your phone into a bedroom or into a bathroom. Right. And, and at the end of the day, I mean, with COVID, I don't know when the last time we actually like had that many kids over, but in general, like we have certain, like phones can go in certain places. You can always have access to your phone. We would never take it away from a kid, but they don't go into certain private spaces in our house. Um, last year, my one of my kids had a, an outdoor kind of birthday party with, with her pod from from, you know, from class, this is like, you know, in, in the spring of COVID yeah. and they were outdoors. And I actually said to her right before the party, do I need to like say anything to your friends about not taking any videos for TikTok? She's like, oh my gosh. She's like, Ima, everybody knows you. No one's taking a TikTok <laughs> video here. And I'm like, okay, I'm just checking. So, you know, I, we make sure to really bring our kids into all of these conversations because there is an element of this where you are also like, I am preparing them for the day when they will have social media, right? When they are old enough that their mistakes that they are meant to make when they are a kid will not actually follow them for forever, right? right. So I don't, I don't want to like keep the information from them, but I also have to be the parent and being the parent means that we set certain lines. Okay. I have a couple of questions. The first thing I wanted to ask you was, do your children ever feel left out when all their friends have WhatsApp, TikTok, Instagram, and they're the quote unquote, the only ones who don't have it? How do you deal with that issue? So, I mean, obviously I'm not putting them on this podcast, so you'll have to take my word for it, but, <laughs> um, but no, they don't actually. And we talk about this a lot. You know, I do check-ins all the time. Like both my husband and I do check-ins, like, how are you feeling? Is there any pressure? Like, talk to us about it. Um, I actually think that my kids, um, my youngest one is obviously way too young, like kindergartners. That's way too young. So yes. Like, I mean, every kindergartner I know has TikTok <laughs> right now. Yeah, but so. that's way too young. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that one of the, the really cool things is that when you talk to your kids about these things, the reasons why you've decided not to do something, right? The reasons why you've decided to do something, that it's values-based and you bring them into the conversation and you give them a voice in the conversation, right? And so I think what's so cool is that, you know, they actually like being a little bit different. You know, they're like, they're like awesome kids. They like have a great, you know, they, they've, they've got a lot of great, awesome stuff about them, but you know what, like there is an element of this where sometimes you can turn, let's say the, the idea of feeling left out into a place where like, actually it's not about being left out. It's about making sure that you're doing something that feels good for you. You know, I'll tell you like a, a small anecdote from before COVID um, one of my kids was at a bat mitzvah. This was like in the bat mitzvah circuit. This was like, you know, a few years ago. And the DJ was doing like one of these, um, you know, um, scavenger hunts, right? It was like some one of these bat mitzvahs and the last like hint, the last piece of the scavenger hunt was like, find someone who has a flip phone. And my kid was like, oh my gosh, I just won because no one else had a flip phone, right? And she was like, she actually, she and her best friend both had a flip phone and she came back from Batman's, but she's like, I, this is like the coolest thing that's ever happened to me. Like I won because we had a flip phone and we were amazing. And I, I think about that story a lot because I really believe that when we ask the question of, well, doesn't your child feel left out? I think a lot of it is about how you frame it and how you bring them into the conversation. This is not about making a decision and leaving them on their own. This is about bringing them into our thought process, right? We talk about this stuff all the time as a family, at dinner, at the Shabbat table with guests. And like, granted, part of it is that like their mom does this for a living. Right, I was like, going to say we, that. But like we, part of, part of, really good prevention is about making sure things are not taboo. And the only way to do that is to really talk about them like right. a lot. I feel as though that some parents think that because they have parental controls, okay, that's taken care of. I'm, I'm right. monitoring them. I have this parental control app. Their app shut off at a certain time. It's all good. It's all good. They right. don't have access to all these things because I block it. So what do you right. say to that? I say you can only be super effective at parental controls if you understand what you're controlling, right? So like, for example, do you understand the app? Do you understand the age that, the, that a child is supposed to be to use that app? Do you understand privacy settings? What are the default settings? Are they public? Are they private? And then again, what is the purpose of the app? If the purpose of the app is to like go viral, then your kid is gonna meet strangers. So you could shut that phone off at nine o'clock at night, but what happened at eight o'clock at night, right? So saying parental controls will take care of everything essentially kind of washes you of the, of the conversations that I believe really do need to be had if your kids are using certain social media platforms because 
it's not just about shutting it off. And honestly, it's not just about making sure you get like a ding when someone uses a bad word or if there's some sort of code word for nudity. It's also about like, who are they talking to and who do they, who has access to them? So let me give you an example. Your kid is, you know, talking to someone, it's seven o'clock at night. It seems like totally great. They're, they're just like, you know, texting back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And like, what's your kid sharing? Like where they go to school and what their favorite like flavor of ice cream is. And the fact that they have a favorite sports team and like where they live, right? Maybe not their address, but kind of generally where they live. And like the fact that like, they always go to this particular game or this particular ice cream shop, but they don't like that restaurant, but they do like this. They love their room. They hate their old color of their room. They moved from the second floor to the basement. You know, all of this information that would never actually come up on any type of parental control. So who is your kid talking to? And did your kid just give them a roadmap into everything, not just your home and where they go to school, but what they like and what they don't like? Perfect for so, grooming. Yeah, like when you think about what grooming is, right? And grooming can happen online by, by a predator that your kid doesn't actually know, but thinks that they know. And then all of a sudden, like you're learning this, this like almost like simple information about a child. And if somebody is a predator, they're going to use that. They're going to use that to connect and to build a relationship. And so it's not just about like the trigger things. It's also about recognizing that parental controls are a piece of the puzzle. I kind of liken it to swimming, right? We teach our kids how to swim, but we also make sure that there are lifeguards at the pool. And we also wouldn't let them swim in a lightning storm. So like, we don't just teach our kids how to swim at the age of six and say, okay, do what you need to do because you know how to swim. We say, let's figure out if this is a safe pool. Let's figure out if there's someone that can actually save you if something bad is happening. Let's make sure that like the chlorine is, make sure that the water is actually safe to swim in. And by the way, let's make sure the weather is okay. So like, you know, nothing really bad happens. So when we think about any of those things, right? When we think about, you know, even teaching our kids how to cross the street, right? We don't just say to our kid, like, listen, you know, you, you need to look both ways. You're gonna get like hit by a truck and then your guts are gonna be like out on the ground. Like we don't, we don't just like flat out say that. We teach them how to cross the street over and over again. We hold their hands. We make them look both ways. We make them listen. We practice. We walk, you know, every more, every Shabbat that I used to walk to Shul, I mean, I still do, but every Shabbat where I would hold my little kids' hands, right? My high school kid does not hold my hands anymore. <laughs> so like every Shabbat that we would walk, look both ways, come across the street. And then you graduate to, you don't have to hold my hand. Now you walk next to me. And then you graduate to like, of course, you and your friend can cross the street. I'm watching, right? And then you graduate to, of course, you can walk by yourself. We don't throw our kids into situations that can be really wonderful, but can also be really dangerous without giving them the tools. Why is this any different? Right. I know there are some parental controls where parents can completely spy on their children. Like they can see their conversations. They can see exactly what apps are going on. So they would be able to see if someone is grooming their child. What do you think about that? <laughs> I think two things. One is I think that the problem with relying solely on that is that when kids feel, you know, as though the world is closing in on them and that there's 
quite literally like everything is being watched, there are always ways to find, there are always ways to hide things from your parents. And so if the relationship or the dynamic is we're watching you, well, then the nature of like a teenager is they're going to be like, we're going to find a way where you're not going to be watching me. I think that that's you're not going to be watching piece. me. Right. Right. The second piece is even if you think you're watching all the time, you're not. And you also probably may, let me, let me say it this way. You may not actually know what you're looking at. Right. You may be think you may think that everything's fine. You may not even realize what you're looking at. I think the other thing is it doesn't teach kids, right? The skill, right? At a certain point, their parents are not going to be watching them anymore. And their parents have spent, you know, how many years making sure, like, we're watching you. Don't, don't send a bad text. But what happens when they like go out in the world? They they go to their, you know, year in Israel or they go to college or they go out into life and they've never had that conversation with their parents about why are you watching my phone? Like why are you doing that? What skill set have I learned and how am I going to be able to impart to my own friends, my own family in my own relationships, right? We are teaching a way of existing. And so it doesn't work to say, I'm just going to watch you the whole time. That's not reality. And by the way, you're not actually watching the whole time. Yeah. So when you really think about it, there, there are so many different pieces. It doesn't mean that parental controls are, are a bad thing. You know, being able to have something on there, parental controls can be a very good thing, right? They can be really a wonderful tool, but they are a tool like a life vest is a tool, right? They are a tool. And so it's really important not to rely on only one tool, but to also make sure that your kid is brought into the conversation and learns from this. Because the other piece is that if something bad happens and the, and the dynamic is we're watching you and they found a way to skirt that, like to, to get around that, right? And then all of a sudden something bad happens they're gonna be a lot less likely to come to their parent and tell them because they're gonna be now worried that they broke the rules or they got in trouble, right? So, so if you're gonna use you know, something in terms of, of any type of parental controls, it's gotta come along with conversation. It's got to, and it's gotta come along with the why behind it and really being able to connect with your kid about what it is they're doing, what your concerns are, where your lines are, and where you're willing to be a little bit more flexible. Right. Well, what I'm gathering from this is that if a parent doesn't have a good, stable relationship with their child, and they don't have these conversations, these open conversations with their children, then the likelihood of a child going behind the parent's back or going online and seeking perhaps validation from either a stranger online or from people they know online is more likely. That's what I'm kind of gathering, but I, correct me if no, I'm wrong. No, you know, I actually don't agree. I don't think that there's a correlation. I, I don't think it's about having a good relationship with your kids. There are a lot of people who have really healthy, fantastic, wonderful relationships with their kids. And there still may be a situation where a predator is able to gain access to them. I don't think it has anything to do with whether you have that good, solid relationship or not. Okay, what I thank think you for clarifying. To, yeah, no problem. No, and I think it's important. Look, there are so many things that parents feel all the time, like, 
that I have to do this better and I'm not doing, I'm not doing things well enough. And I really, I don't want to add to that. That is not the case here, right? This is not about saying you should be doing something different. This is about being able to give information to parents who may have never thought about this in this way before, because we're, we're all thinking about so much. Like we've just, we're living through a pandemic. Like how much can we think about, right? How yeah. many times do you go to sleep at the end of the day and you're just like, I'm done. I made it through. That's it. I deserve a medal. My house is a disaster. I literally have no idea what I really made for dinner, but like I got through the day, right? So let's not add, let's yeah, not yeah, yeah. add fuel okay. to like Thank any you. type of shaming of parents, but Thank let's, you. Thank let's you. instead phrase it like this. You could have the best relationship with your kid in the entire world. It doesn't mean that they are not going to be in a situation where someone may have access to them. And so what we have to do is we have to work at figuring out what works for our children and our families, but also walk in with our eyes wide open. Let's not pretend that only parental controls will make will ensure that my kid is totally safe. Let's not pretend that if I go and take a phone away from my child or social media away from my child, that they won't, that someone won't have access to them. If your kid has a phone and your kid has social media and you're listening to this right now, right, the worst thing you could do is go over to your kid, take their phone, what has become their lifeline, take away their social media and say, that's it, it's over, you can't have it anymore, right? That's not the way to approach this because your kid already has access to it. So the way to approach this is to really be able to take a step back and say, okay, what apps are my kids using? What is the purpose of the app? What are the default privacy settings? What are my kids settings to? Are they using it in private spaces? Do I need to start a conversation about the fact that I'm now learning about a lot of safety things that I never learned about before. And sometimes the best framework is to sit down with your kids and say, listen, I know you love this app. I totally don't get it. Can you walk me through it? Can you walk me through what you do on this app? Teach me, pretend I'm like a totally ridiculous idiot, right? And a lot of parents, to be honest, have no idea how to work most things. And so say to your kid, teach me, show me, bring me into this. And all of a sudden, instead of turning to your kid and being like, is your setting set to private? What you're saying is, I'd like to learn more. I'm invested and I'm interested. And what that does is for a lot of kids, all of a sudden, they're more apt to want to talk to you about it. And then you could say something like, well, wait a second, let me ask you this. Are you ever in a position where people DM you or comment or like, you know, try to connect with you and like, you don't know them? And your kid may be like, well, yeah, totally. And be like, okay, so like, let's, let's break that down for a moment, right? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about some of the concerns that I actually, I was just listening to a podcast about this. I just saw a movie about this. I just read an article about this. It's something I never thought about before. Talk to me about it. Have you ever been in a situation where you were worried about it? Right? Like a lot of people may be listening to this thinking that because my own children don't have social media, that they should go and take away something from their Yeah, kids. that's what I want to say. And that's, that's not what I'm saying. The choices that we made to not give our kids social media could be a whole other podcast um, and would definitely be a lengthy discussion. But there's a difference between starting out from a place where your child does not have something and starting from a place where your child does have something. And now you're looking to just take it away, 
with no explanation, with no conversation. And so most kids, most teenagers have social media and have phones. So if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, then what I want, I want you to think about is not about just the immediate response of taking something away, but I want you to think about talking to your kids about those issues on those apps, right? And you can start with just the questions that I said. And I want you as a parent to then figure out where is your bottom line, right? Do you want to say to your child, if you're going to be on this app, I'd like you not to have it set to public. I'd like you to only connect to people that you know. I'd like to try it for a few days and let's see how it feels, right? Or something like, I'd like to make sure that if you're taking TikTok videos, that you're not taking them in the bathroom, that you're not taking them in your bedroom, right? That you're doing it in a space that doesn't identify where our home is or kind of where your school is. Let's start with some small steps to really think about safety. And I think that the other piece that I talk to parents a lot when I do parent nights is you have to give your kids an out to saying no to things. You know, there are a lot of kids who get asked for things online and it's important that they be able to say no. And sometimes it's really, really hard to do that. And so one of the other things that I recommend is you can turn to your kid and say, by the way, if anyone ever asks you for a nude picture, or if anyone ever asks you for something that is inappropriate or uncomfortable or feels unsafe, right? Those are all very different words that have different meanings. You know, you can always blame me, right? Like you can turn, even if, even if I don't monitor your phone, you could totally turn to someone and be like, oh, I can't do that because my parents monitor my every move and my phone will be taken away. Or like, oh, I can't do that because my parents told me it's against the law. And like, you know, it's, it's actually a really big deal where I live, right? Blame the parents. Like I say to people all the time, like you can blame me, like the scary redheaded lady, like I'll <laughs> take the blame for everyone, like all the time. But I, but I actually think that's an important piece of this, teaching our kids, you know, yes, you can say no, and we want you to say no. And it's important that you feel empowered to say no. But also, if you're caught in a situation where you feel like you can't or, or you make a mistake, like, first of all, you can always blame us, right? But also, people make mistakes. And it's important for you to know that if you have made a mistake, you know, it's, it's not going to be something that's going to make us stop loving you. It's not going to be something that's going to make us stop being proud of you. Like some of the bravest kids that I know are the kids that have sent those pictures or those videos and have been extorted, right? Or have been victims of serious crimes and have actually somehow, you know, mustered up the strength to turn to their parent and say something really scary is happening, knowing that their parent might be angry at them, right? And one of the things that I always say to parents is like, take a deep breath because your reaction matters. If your kid is coming to you saying something unsafe happened, it means they're scared and it's not their job to make you feel better. It's your job to be the parent. And so you have to be able to take a deep breath and tell your kids, I love you. I'm proud of you. You must have been really, really scared. And, and we have to, we also have to give them that beforehand. If something unsafe happens, I want you to know, even if you're worried, I'm going to be angry at you. I'm not. Even if you're worried, I'm going to like, you know, lock you in your room. I'm not right. Even if you're scared about, about my reaction, that's not important. What is, what's important is that you're safe. So no matter how badly you might feel as though you screwed up, 
I want you to know you can always come to me. And the truth is like, I say that to my kids all the time. I mean, they don't have social media, but like my kid, one of my kids has a smartphone, right? I say that to them all the time. I repeat it on repeat, like at random places, like when we're, when I'm like telling them to like pick up their clothing, right? Or their wet towel from the floor, or I'm like doing dishes, you know, or whatever it is, you weave it into the conversation because that has to be a part of your holistic approach to abuse prevention in general, online, Beautiful. in person, doesn't matter. Find that one of the biggest barriers to having these open conversations with your kids is that I feel like parents these days, they don't have the patience, they don't have the time to sit down and speak to your child, have a conversation, continuing to have these conversations because everybody's so busy, everybody has so much on their plate. So I just find that that's such a big barrier to having this holistic approach. Right. You know, like I'm not like, yeah. asking, it's just, I'm just stating it. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think there are two ways to kind of approach that because look, I'm just as tired as the next person. Like we're all tired. Everyone is tired. Everyone is, you know, it's just, it's been a long few years, no matter what your experience has been. Um, and I think that, first of all, I look at abuse prevention as not being a big sit-down conversation ever, right? I, I have never done a big sit-down conversation with any of my kids at any of their ages where I sat them down and I said, listen, we need to have a talk. It's never about that. I really believe that effective abuse prevention, whether it's about prevention of sexual abuse in person or online is about the small little moments, right? It's something that I write and I talk about a lot yeah. because it's the small moments that have a ripple effect and create like a really big, um, a really big difference, right? It's the, Hey, you know, I read this article the other day and it was, they used a word I've never heard about. Have you ever heard of the term sextortion? Like as you're literally putting away dishes or like, you know, when we think about abuse prevention in general, like, you know, I, I was, I was putting my five-year-old to bed last night and he asked a question about something and out of the blue, I said something like, okay, so like, remind me, like, why don't we keep secrets? And he like started talking about why we don't keep secrets and the difference between secrets and surprises, which anybody who knows me has heard me say this a million times, yeah, I love it. you know, um, that a, a secret doesn't have an ending and a surprise does, right? And that there's a very big difference between that. It wasn't, we weren't like having a conversation about abuse prevention. I think the whole back and forth give and take took probably 12 seconds, right? It was, it was a moment in time. And I really believe that effective abuse prevention is about those moments in time. And I also think that the other piece is that yes, we are tired, we are, but this is really important. And if you had a kid who had an allergy, right, and could go into anaphylactic shock because of, you know, an allergy to peanuts or, or tree nuts or anything of that sort, in a million years, you wouldn't throw your hands up and say, I'm just too tired to deal with it because it's life and death. Yeah. We have to reframe the way we think about sexual abuse, whether it's in person or online. 
This is also an issue of life and death and also an issue of pikuach nefesh, right? For those who are listening, that literally means like saving a life, right? So yeah. this is when you have a child that is becomes a victim of a sexual predator, like it impacts their life in, in tremendously significant ways. And that trauma isn't just going to go away. And so on some level, we have to reframe this. We have to think about abuse prevention from the same safety perspective we think about swimming and drowning, from the same way that we think about allergies and taking care of our kids, you know, to the fact that like, you know, we want to make sure that they grow up into these great, awesome people who go out and do really, you know, awesome stuff in the world. And it doesn't have to be big and it doesn't have to be like a, a huge moment. It's just about the small things. So I really encourage for everybody that's listening, whether it's picking up a book for the first time that you read with your kid or pulling out an article, you know, I find with high school kids, like articles, movies, you know, something that you saw online that you show them, like those can be really good um, conversation, you know, starters, right. Of just like, have you ever seen anything like this? Like, did you ever, I'd ever heard of something like this before? Um, and just start small, right. It just starts with the little moments. For those parents who haven't introduced social media or smartphone to their kids, I mean, if it's inevitable for the child to get a phone, what right. age would you recommend for them to get it? I can't. I'm the worst person to recommend an age. Um, I can tell you that um, I, I think that there are only a few reasons why, first of all, if you want to connect with your kid, right, if you want, if you want to be able to access your kid, like I, I referenced the bat mitzvah circuit, you know, that was the age where we got our kid a flip phone because I wanted to make sure that if she felt unsafe or uncomfortable or just felt like she was done with whatever bat mitzvah she was at, she could reach us, we could go pick her up, no questions asked, um, which she did a few times, you know, and it was a really good tool to be able to have. Um, I think that for so many parents here, they're gonna hear that and roll their eyes and be like, I'm not giving my kid a flip phone. Like that's not happening, right? So what I would say is you have to think about, you know, what it is that you give your kid, the reason why you need to give it to them. And there's nothing wrong with you making a decision that your child should have a particular phone, you know, at a particular time. Um, but I really, really believe that the minute that you give your kid an access to a device, especially a device that becomes essentially theirs, you're giving them access to a world. And if you don't prepare them for it, you don't engage in those conversations, then you know, you're not necessarily setting them up for success. So as opposed to saying, at what age should you have something? You know, I'm, I'm not a mental health professional. I come at this from a, a law enforcement background. <laughs> Obviously, I have a, a little bit of a different perspective. But all I can say is like, you know, what, what shouldn't happen is that kids' mistakes live for forever. Right? And that's part of what happens when someone takes an embarrassing photo or an embarrassing picture and posts it on social media or something of that sort. But I do think that beyond the mistakes or embarrassing moments that are normal for preteens and teenagers, there's a whole world of people out there um, that want access to your kid. And so if you're going to give your child a phone, if you're going to give them access to social media, I really encourage you not to do it blindly. Right. And to be able to go in with your eyes wide open and understand kind of the pros and cons and really not just do this as you should have this because everybody has it, 
but do it with whatever your family rules or values or conversations are. And above all, don't just make a decision and not talk to your kid about it. You've got to talk to your kid about it because especially if they feel angry or resentful, right? Or they feel as though everybody else has this and I don't have it. Why don't I have it? And you can't give them an answer, then that's not going to be helpful for them in terms of keeping them safe. So I totally didn't answer your question. No, it's fine. <laughs> but no, use it. Use it in a way. People will come up with their own conclusions. Right. I was curious to know that if a parent does make the decision to buy their child a smartphone with access to social media and God willing, they do have these conversations about it. What would you say in your experience, in your work, uh, like what are some apps like that are more prone to predatory behavior? Are there specific sure. apps that are more dangerous and others? I think that any app where your kid has access to people who they do not know, and any app where they are under the mistaken impression that things actually disappear can be really problematic for kids. So in general, it's, it's not even about the particular app, it's almost about how it's being used. So if it's an app where kids think that they can send a picture, a video, a message, and it's just gonna disappear, everybody needs to understand that nothing ever truly disappears and that there are incredibly creative ways that people have of being able to save things and disseminate things and they live for forever. Screenshot, right. All of that stuff. Creative creative ways of screenshotting that, that like if I told you like from my from my days of being a prosecutor that I like came across, you know, just like things that would, would really like kind of blow your mind, like the, almost like the creativity and how people have saved things over the years. So that's, wow. that's one piece. And then I think that the other piece is in recognizing that any app where you have people that have access to your kid, where your kid is that, that they do not know from school, from camp, right from your community means that there is a potential for danger. Um, and so not having your privacy settings not set, right? Making sure, I should say that better, making sure your privacy settings are actually set. No child needs a public profile, not on TikTok, not on Instagram, right? Like no child who's, who's a teenager or a kid, right? needs to have strangers who can access them and DM them and message and comment. And so- But you know what's the problem, by the way? Sorry to interrupt you. That the goal is to go viral and to have people exactly. like that you don't know, right? So exactly. that's, that's part Even of if they're private, point. Rachel, even if they're private. Correct. Correct. And so what you really have to do, it goes back to that original question. What's the purpose of the app? If the purpose of the app is to go viral, mm -hmm. then all of a sudden you're in a different situation because your privacy settings could be set to private. But once that goes, once that goes viral, there's no controlling the narrative, right? There's no, or someone can request to be your friend, right? Correct. And you're private and you're like, okay, more followers. And that's, of course, and that, and it goes back to that question. So, you know, I think like taking even something simple, like a lot of kids who game, a lot of kids are not necessarily on social media, but they love gaming. Yeah. And so I go back to gaming because people think gaming is just a safe space, right? Like you're no. gaming, like what could go wrong? But the question is, who are you gaming with? Are you gaming with people you know, or are you gaming with strangers? Are you using a headset to communicate? Are you chatting, right? How are you doing this? And where are you gaming? Are you in a private place in your house where your parents 
for not walking by and don't have to see what it is that you're doing, right? So I think that it's not about a particular app. It's about trying to figure out, does my kid have access to strangers? Do strangers have access to my kid? Do people who might not be strangers have access to my kid in a way that could be concerning, right? How private is this? What is the purpose of my kid being on this app? And again, it's not about saying a particular social media app is terrible or not terrible or better or not better. Every app could be used for something that's nefarious, right? So it all depends on how it is that you use it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So we are going to wrap it up, but I do have one more question. I mean, I had a lot more questions, but <laughs> we can be going on for four more hours if I ask you all my questions. But I did want to ask you what your opinion is on parents or mommies in particular, like in mommy influencer culture, where they post their families and their kids on their social media platform. What's your opinion on that? I'd be mindful that, you know, talking about this kind of stuff can be very, very stressful for parents. And part of the reason why it can be stressful is because you start to feel like we're doing everything wrong. Right. And I really would love to flip that. I'd love to flip that narrative. I'd love to draw a line and say, it's not about what you've done right or wrong. And we can't, we've got to like, just cut ourselves a little bit of slack. Like let's draw a line and let's move forward. When you share unfettered access to your kids and you are an influencer or you are somebody that has, you know, a big following, or honestly, you're somebody who has a public social media profile, um, you're giving a roadmap to your kids. And you don't know who's following you, right? You don't know, you really don't know who any of those people are, right? I mean, you can have amazing things happen, especially for adults. Like I met you on social media, right? Like that's an amazing way to connect and an amazing way to share information. But if I'm posting pictures of my kids, of their games, of their plays, of where they go to school, of where we are, of where we live, of their routine, of their bedroom, of their favorite outfit, of their favorite toy, right? If I'm posting their name and a birthday party around their birthday time, and all of a sudden, I'm just giving like unfettered access to everything about my kid. So what's to stop someone from them now having a roadmap into everything that everything about my kid, everything about my house, everything about their birthday. And so what I would say is it's not about saying whether you will or you won't, like everybody makes their own decision. I do not share any information about my kids uh, private information or their pictures or anything on my public social media profiles. But I really think that it's about taking a step back and saying, okay, if I do share information about my kids, first of all, what am I sharing? Why am I sharing it? And I also think it's important to remember, like you're sharing information about your kids as they grow up, like they have to live with that. They're not adults, right? They can't technically consent to anything or give you permission. And even at the age of 10, if they're excited about the idea of like something you post going viral, like how exciting is that, you know, and, and they think it's so exciting, but they're going to have to live with the roadmap that you laid out for them in a way that our generation never has had to do. Like, I am so thankful that my parents did not post pictures of the most awkward time of my life, yeah. right? That sixth through eighth grade were like, I mean, like 
awkward doesn't even cut it, right? I'm so glad that they didn't post about the time I fell down the stairs and like broke my ankle, right? I'm so glad that they didn't post about like the time I slipped in the mud, right? I'm so glad that people don't have a roadmap to everything that's happened in my life because how else can you grow into an adult and actually become who you're supposed to be? And so what I would say is it's important to be mindful and to not only think about the fact that you're giving access um, that people have access to information about your kids, but it's also about thinking about your kids, right? It's also about that piece of like what happens now when they grow up and there are 10,000 people who know everything about them. Mm -hmm. I, I will say that when I walk into like a supermarket or if I'm a guest in a community or I'm speaking in a school, right? Even in like a different state, when I walk in and I see kids that I recognize that I have never met before, I find it to be like chilling, right? And I know that I recognize them because I must be connected to their parent or I must know their parent. Oh, I know whose kid you are, right? That, that when you just think about that, like that can be really overwhelmingly scary. So as opposed to saying, don't share pictures of your kids um, because I don't think it's helpful to say that. What I would say is figure out why you're doing it and kind of think about whether there's a way to do it that still protects a little bit of privacy of your kids and be mindful if that's the choice that you make. Love it. Wow, there's so much wisdom here that you just spoke about. There's a lot to take in. And I also want to tell you that I really appreciate the fact that everything you're saying is with such sensitivity and nuance and you're not making me feel bad about any choices I've made or anyone who's listening to this like doesn't feel shamed as a parent for anything that they've done or anything their kids have gone through so I want to thank you for you know clarifying some of those issues <laughs> really yeah you, you made us all feel like it's okay you know like we're it's all tired okay. yeah and what happens, happens, and you can always flip the narrative, as you said, flip the script, right. Right. change the conversation, change the question, and focus on what's important. And the same way, if your child had an allergy, you would treat that allergy, it's life or death. You wouldn't say, I'm too tired to deal with this. Right. The same way you would deal with that, you would have to deal with online and physical child sexual abuse. So I really wanted to thank you for your time, your expertise, your wisdom. Is there one last message you wanna share with the audience? Um, I just, yeah, I, I wanna say that if you're listening and you're still listening after the past hour, um, which, is, which is amazing, there is always room to make our kids safer. And the most important thing is to remember that really the responsibility falls on us. It does not fall on our kids. And I really believe that it takes small moments and small conversations. You can always learn. We can all do this together. You don't have to do this alone. And I just want to encourage you to start now, right? If you haven't started before, it's never too late. And there are so many different, um, you know, there are so many different wonderful accounts to follow. There are so many different people who are speaking about this stuff. Um, you've got this. 
right? And so it's important to remember that this is also about empowering each other. If we want to change things, if we want to make this world safer for our kids and for ourselves, then we've got to do it and we've got to do it together. Beautiful. And Rachel, where can people find you if they want you to speak at their school or community or anything yeah. else that you do? Sure. So they can reach out obviously on Instagram. Um, I'm assuming that you will. Yes, of course. You will, you will tag me, but I'm <laughs> at Rachel.Bayer, R-A-G-L Bayer. Um, my website is www.thebayergroup.com, which is T-H-E-B-A-Y-A-R-G-R-O-U-P.com. Uh, you can find me on Facebook under The Bayer Group. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn and um, you can reach out. And we'll see what we can make happen. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for inviting me to be a guest. This was awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share with others, other people who you think will benefit from this episode. If you want to learn more about what I do, you can check out my Instagram page at coach.kk. Let's connect.